Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I was really excited when Deborah wanted to be on the show because I think we're going to have a conversation that's going to resonate with a lot of our listeners, regardless of your title, your sector, your age. And Deborah, I want to welcome you to the show. So much for having me, Deb. I'm really excited to be here. At least we know we're not going to forget each other's names, like Deborah, Debbie. Doesn't matter. I'm not. Always, I think you're. I think you might be my first Deborah on the show. I'll have to check with my team, but I think you are. Okay, so my first leadership question is around executive jobs and searching, and just kind of where we all are right now as global citizens post COVID. Can you share some executive job search strategies? Because I know when I'm working with clients. This isn't a one and done answer because there's so mm -hmm. many demographics and I think the world is changing as you and I are speaking right now. I would love if you would share a little bit about your journey first so our, our guests know who are listening, where you came from to get to where you are, and then share with us some strategies that you're kind of seeing and maybe being part of in present day. Absolutely. So you know, a short version of a, of a really long story is I uh, founded a company, started as a kind of a side hustle, passion project, resume writing, helping people with their job searches, getting people the confidence to go after stretch roles. And uh, as a solopreneur, freelancer, that snowballed and took over my life as kind of the short end of the story. Uh, the long end of the story is we've really had some incredible growth doing some some work with with really interesting people around the world. And and so fast forward about seven years, and today we are a an executive career management firm. So I launched and now run DNS Executive Career Management. And what that means to us is we work with VP to board level leaders to help them prepare for and navigate their high level searches. So we're not a search firm. We don't do placements, but we're like the home stagers to make a luxury property look expensive before it goes on the market. Um, and our team has grown. So we are a team of about 10 people scattered around the U.S. who are fully remote, uh, working with these incredible leaders to level up into their next roles, transition their careers into board work, maybe, uh, you know, transition into work that, that they feel passionate about or really elevate their influence. And so it's a lot of fun. Well, it, you can see it on your face when you talk about it. So I'm going to deflate the elephant for most people that may be listening do you offer a discovery call to allow any inquiry so people know that, gee, like, am I good enough for her to help me? Have I have I had the fancy title? Am I at the level? You know, all all the imposter syndrome that that people have when they get caught in that extrinsic status of title. Um, share a little bit around. I'm just throwing this extra question in because I know people are going to think it. 
You know, it's such an important question. We absolutely do free calls in discovery calls with every single client. We don't have a buy now button on our website. We don't have an option to engage with us and our services without a conversation Mm -hmm. because we want to understand what our clients need, uh, what their expectations and goals are. Are they realistic? Are we able to help them? We we never want to sell something to someone that isn't going to move the needle for them. And we want to make sure what they're looking for is aligned with what we can offer and our, our, you know, we have packages of, of things that most people do, of course, but we can also do custom work. And so, you know, it depends on what that scope of work is and what they really need and what they don't need. And it kind of goes back to your question of what that executive job search looks like. It's kind of different for everybody. And so, yes, we absolutely do a, um, a no pressure introductory call with everyone. Would you put yourself under the same umbrella as a recruiter? We don't. Um, so we work really closely with recruiters, but we are not recruiters because we don't do the placement. And the reason is, and this isn't bad about recruiters at all. Recruiters are amazing. We, like I said, we work really closely with them and we get a lot of referrals from recruiters, honestly. But it's, we work with the individual to help them prepare for the search. We help them navigate their search. We'll talk to them about compensation negotiation skills. We'll talk to them about how to find opportunities, how to vet opportunities. We'll be with them through that life cycle of the process. But we don't want to have a stake in the game on where they land um, because we want to be truly on the side of the client. And so I don't want to get paid based on what they land or how much they land or things like that. And so we purposefully don't do placement. Perfect. And again, I, I want to give clarity because I know what the listener is going to be thinking. And people get caught up in those extrinsic titles and, well, they must be this or so thank you for that. Second question, I know I, I know my first question had three parts, but I, I'm back on track. This one has permanent residency, and I've asked everyone who's been on the show, we've had over 260 leaders. What imperfection does Deborah bring to her heart-centered leadership? I love this question. You know, as I was preparing for this, I listened to a few of your other episodes. I thought a lot about this. I would love for my team to answer this question because I'm sure they have some answers for you as well. Uh, But there's one imperfection that came to light this year in a different way. And it was really, it was really interesting. Um, So I have, um, I don't know what listeners are familiar with the Gallup Strengths Finder. Yeah. um, Yeah. Assessment, right? Where you, you know, there's the 36 skills or something and then they rank them based on what your skills are. And my number one skill is positivity, which means in the way that, you know, any good thing with too much of it becomes a bad thing, right? So in the way that that comes out for me is I am not, you know, I'm very much like, oh, it'll work out great. It'll be fine. And I don't see all of the possibilities of ways things can go wrong because I don't want to get bogged down in in the, you know, in the negative side of things. And so I know my my operations leader on our team who's worked with me for many years, um, her top skill was strategy. And, and so I said, you know, here's why I need you is because you are rooted in reality and I'm up here like, it's going to be great. And together, uh, we make a really strong team. That, that's a great, that's a great answer. I've never had anybody do that before. And it's, you know, positivity, again, you need, you need that anchor of, of your coworker and you're the dynamic duo because of it. I love that. 100%. Okay. My third question, you talk about elevating impact through board work. So, Give us kind of a Cole's notes of our listeners who they're thinking about being on a board. They're not sure they're qualified. Just all the, again, imposter syndrome, negative thinking. 
Can you kind of debunk that myth and let us know how how can one person, regardless of their leadership stature, title sector, how can they elevate themselves to be on a board and see how it does impact their leadership? You know, I think the thought of board work is so interesting because it's an enigma for so many people. Mm. And it's been a little bit of a buzzword of, oh, get on a board, you know, serving on boards, things like that. But people don't understand how to actually secure those opportunities. And so um, we work with all candidates. Uh, but honestly, lately, a lot of of women and, and people of color and things like that around new opportunities in the board space. And there's a couple of things. You know, you don't have to be retired. I think the, you know, the thing that a lot of people think is, okay, well, it's a retirement role or you have to have gray hair to do it. And you don't actually have to. There's more opportunities for younger generations to be in both in corporate board seats and in, um, you know, nonprofit or advisory roles. And we'll talk about that too. Um, so there's some mantra, but you do need either deep functional expertise or deep industry expertise, right? You don't have to be an expert in one industry, but then you're going to need to bring your expertise in your function or vice versa. And it also helps to have a deep network too, um, because most of these opportunities are not filled through recruiters. They're certainly not online. These are really things that are filled through networking. And so having a having a deep network to be able to activate and call on is helpful for that. You know, there's lower hanging fruit. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, sitting on the board of a Fortune 500, you know, publicly traded company. It can be things that are maybe advisory board um, seats for um, early stage startups or companies that are getting started or companies that are looking to scale or pivot. And those advisory seats really help make you board ready for a paid board seat later. Uh, They also allow you to kind of stretch your leadership wings a little bit because you're advising a C-level either entrepreneur or, or leader at the company. And you're, and you're being asked to lead in a different way because you're not being asked to be the doer and the executor. You're advising and you're driving strategy and you're, and, you're, and you're helping with the high level work and you're not necessarily in there doing it, which can be a stretch for a lot of people who haven't had to do that before. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great way of framing that. And I, I love the way you explained it and, and all the different opportunities. And sometimes it's just matching kind of your passion for where you're at at the moment, but it's not a one and done because there's so many places to grow and the bandwidth can can continue, like you said, to eventually when you are older and you want to sit on a paid board, you're bringing all that richness of experience and time. Um, my Absolutely. fourth question is my favorite, which is why I saved it to the last. Let's talk about the need for companies to provide executive outplacement support for transitioning leaders. And please define for our listeners, what is a transitional leader? Okay, perfect. Love this question. Something we've been talking a lot about. I actually had an article um, come come out through Forbes uh, about two weeks ago, maybe on this topic of the need and some of these things that happen because so so for for your listeners, outplacement is if a company is going through a downsize or they're doing a layoff or they're transitioning the leader out for whatever reason, maybe they have a new CEO come in and they, you know, are getting a new leadership team. And so for whatever reason, someone has to leave the company. That outplacement support is paid for by the company, but it's to bring another, you know, a, um, a service in to provide, you know, resume writing, job search strategy, the consulting around, you know, how to take themselves to market and really help them have a soft landing into their next thing. What we've found, though, is that that's great for most employees, but at the highest levels of a company, 
executive or well, outplacement support doesn't really translate to the executive level as much because the job search is different and the way you take yourself to market is different. And so the advice given to most staff in a company doesn't really apply to the executive level and their needs are a little bit different. And so we've been advocating that companies look at offering specific outplacement support for executives because they're typically, they haven't had to do a job search in a long time and they haven't, they've never had to do a job search at their level. And so they're ill-prepared for what that is going to look like and how to take themselves to market in that way. They typically um, have never had to sell themselves. Uh, you know, they don't understand their unique value. The job search can take a lot longer because there's less opportunities out there. So they need to be prepared for a longer time. Um, there's a lot more identity and, and other things wrapped up in uh, their career and their titles, just like you had kind of mentioned at the beginning of the call. So there's a lot of need for some some grief in that process after they lose their roles. And it's, and there's a lot more emotion wrapped up in it. Um, not, and certainly I'm not suggesting it's not hard for everyone because it certainly is. It's just, I think that some of the needs of the executives are overlooked because they think, oh, well, they may, um, you know, they may have already known about it or they'll be fine. You know, they can get a job doing X, Y, Z. Um, and, and so that's what we've been advocating is that there's unique needs that need to be filled. Well, and I'm really happy that you used the word grief because even though it's a transition, it's a loss. And right. I'm, I'm happy to see it framed in that way because I, I know from the leaders that I've worked with, and I mean, a lot has happened since the start of COVID, during COVID, okay. post-COVID. And a transition is a loss, especially when they don't know what's coming. So I'm happy that you yes. framed it in that context. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four fun questions. We want to know what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. Name a word or phrase that shows up in your daily leadership. Yes, I love this. So I have to give credit to this. Uh, so a word or a phrase that comes up in my daily leadership is I appreciate you. So not necessarily appreciate it or thanks, but I appreciate you. And the reason I use that is I actually learned it from a past client and now good friend, Brittany Ezel. She was a division one basketball coach turned amazing businesswoman. And she used that phrase on me once and it landed so much more powerfully than I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And it seemed very personal and, and it, it's almost uncomfortable to say it seems very, um, maybe a little touchy feely, but I, I have worked that into my daily language. You're, you're on a heart centered leadership podcast. So it is welcomed and three words <laughs> that I absolutely love. Who doesn't want to hear that, right? Yeah, it's just, it just is so much more powerful and impactful. And has a place in business acumen and is appropriate. I love it. Okay, name a book that you've read at any time in your life. What was the name of the book? Who wrote it? And how was it impactful to you? Yes, love this question. And I thought a lot about it. You know, I read a lot, read a lot of business books. I'm a big nerd about business books, but I was thinking about the book that had the most impact in my life. And I would say I can remember a specific time and, and how this book landed with me is the, is actually, I was in my late twenties, nearing 30, meandering through my career. Wasn't really sure. I wasn't, I hadn't started my business yet. I wasn't really feeling what I was doing. Anyway, it was kind of in a place where I was like, what's next for me? And, um, feeling a little stuck. Uh, and I read um, Julia Child's biography. Don't remember who wrote it off the top of my head, but every, everyone can go look for it. Um, but what resonated with me in that book is that she didn't start the career we all know her for until her 40s. Yeah. And and that 
just at that time where I was stuck and I felt like I'm doing a thing I'm going to have to do till I die. And my kids were young and, you know, and I thought, oh, I'm just, I'm never going to be able to get where I wanted to be. Reading that even, you know, your 40s and beyond, you can become completely known for something different. Your life can take an unexpected change and path, you know, in ways that you weren't even planning, uh, gave me a lot of hope. And I think about it a lot now looking back to where I was then versus where I'm at now. Well, and there's a fun Google search because there are so many adults, men and women alike. Uh, Martha Stewart's another great example. She was in her 50s and look at the empire she's built. And all it takes is a great idea and a whole lot of passion and the age doesn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. I have not read her memoir I've had someone else talk about it on the show and oh, I really? love the I love the movie that they did on Julie and Julia about her life and the tenacity and all the barriers that were thrown her way but she just kept doing her thing and yeah mm-hmm. that's a great example. Okay, the third question is a wish and I'll give you the context. I'm granting you a wish to have dinner with a leader of your choice. So this leader could be living or has passed away. Who are you having dinner with? And what is the dinner conversation? Oh my goodness! Um, I it may sound cliche. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of your listener, um, your guests have said this, but I worked with an executive leadership coach when I was scaling my business, and you know, she had asked what who I wanted to emulate, who when I was trying to pull my own executive presence, who did I want to look like and sound like and be like and and put out there. And for me, it was Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. So I uh, don't get starstruck, but I think I would fangirl all over the place if I got Michelle Obama in person. And my question would be how she stays so approachable to everyone, but also rooted in purpose that Mm -hmm. transcends politics. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think her purpose and her focus is something, you know, I, I don't think there are many people that can argue that nutrition for children is a bad thing. You know, I think that transcends a lot of things. And and just the the poise and the approachability and the kindness um, is something that I, I try to emulate as well. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, the cap, I'm in Canada and in our capital city, which is Ottawa, um, Barack Obama came to speak. Um, I, I, right before COVID. So I'm going to say 2018, 2017, I don't remember. And my daughter surprised me with tickets for my birthday. And she was at the side of the stage with him when they called him. And the presence of his energy in this massive stadium, I just burst into tears. And my daughter's like, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? And I'm like, this is like a surreal experience because they are the epitome of exceptional and exemplary leadership, mm-hmm. completely heart-centered. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And I literally had to, like, I could not get myself to calm down. Like, it was like, I'm really here. And like, you know, how many feet in front of me, his presence is, I can't, I don't even have a word for it. But one of the things that I love about both of them is if you watch their body language when they're speaking or they're in an interview, how they hold their body language, they pause before they speak Mm -hmm. and they think about and care about everything that they articulate. And they're just so poised. And so I I join you in that. They are just a power couple. I love them. Okay, before we finish the show, I just want to say I think... The service 
that you offer and, and align with, like you said, with recruiters and all the other people that funnel into you. I think it's such a much needed service. And I'm just so happy that you wanted to be on the show. And I'm excited to put this podcast episode out there. And I'm going to have you finish the show by finishing this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is? I feel like heart-centered leadership is remembering that there are humans on at the end of every business decision. So whether that's on our team, our vendors, our clients, our partners, every decision that we make impacts a human on some level. And so keeping that in mind and thinking about how what we do impacts other people's lives on a very real level um, means heart-centered leadership to me. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.